It's an album called Rough and uh, Rowdy Ways. And there's some good stuff on it if you're a Dylan fan. Um, there's a song called I've Made Up My Mind to Give Myself to You. Uh, Bob Dylan sometimes has been known for these long song titles. I've made up my mind to give myself to you. And it's a really great song. And I was listening to it on um, YouTube. It was just a um, just a, a, a standard image. It wasn't like a video. But um, I was listening to the audio, and, uh, and I decided to go down and just check the comments. I always never check the comments on anything I watch on YouTube because it's amazing on the Internet how caustic people are. And so I just avoid that because it just it, it just puts you in a bad mood. But I looked down anyway, and this woman, the, the very first comment, she wrote this. She wrote, this is such song is so beautiful. I made my husband stop working and get up and dance with me in the kitchen. What a lovely thought, isn't it? The very next response was a man, uh, Klaus Pernet from Germany, who wrote this. So did I. I took my wife and uh, where do you say? I took my wife to her kitchen and we started dancing in Germany in noise. Bob Dylan, 39th album, 79 years old, inspiring men and women to get up and dance in their kitchen. What a gift to the world! What a what a what a, a lovely lovely thing to think about. Inspiring men and women, spouses to hold each other close and to be re-inspired to, to commit themselves to one another. A, a little bit of verse, if I can. I, I won't give it to you in the Bob Dylan way, but I'll, I'll just kind of give it to you in the Joe Boisel sort of way. I'm sitting on my terrace lost in the stars, listening to the sound of the sad guitars. been thinking it over and I've thought it all through. I've made up my mind to give myself to you. Isn't that beautiful? If I had the wings, one of the verses said, if I had the wings of a snow-white dove, I'd preach the gospel, the gospel of love. A love so real, a love so true, I've made up my mind to give myself to you. 79 years old, 39th album, Bob Dylan's still bringing it. But I also like the really old stuff. I mean... You know, uh, I've been a Dylan fan for a while, you know, I'm not like some people that are, are uh, groupies or whatever, but I'm still a solid fan. And one of my favorite songs from Dylan is this one called Tangled Up in Blue. It was released in 1975. It only re- reached number like 31 on Billboard's Top 100 that year. But in 2004, when Rolling Stone went back to, to reassess um, the top 500 song, rock songs of all time, number 68 in the top 500, it caused me to think that, you know, sometimes it takes a while for genius to be discovered. And it's a thought that gives me comfort at night. Did you get that one? Pete, did you get that one? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it takes a while for genius to be discovered. It took a long time for Bobby Dylan to get this one. But Tangled Up in Blue, it's this song that sort of meanders through all these different settings of life. Long verses of, 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 uh, of narrative in there. And, and never really much of a chorus except for just a little bit. So cool. It's such a groovy sound. Listening to it sometimes really overwhelms the poetry itself. Anyway. From Tangled Up in Blue, I had a job in the great north woods, working as a cook for a spell, but I never did like it all that much, and one day the axe just fell. So I drifted down to New Orleans, where I was looking to be employed, working for a while on a fishing boat right outside of Delacroix. But all the while I was alone, the past was close behind. I seen a lot of women, but she never escaped my mind.
And I just grew tangled up in blue. Dylan's view of going through life is this life that is tangled up in goodness and difficulty, of, of bliss and of sadness. It's a world where sometimes the blue is bright blue. And we know that, don't we? Sometimes the blue is bright. It's like, remember when you see that blue jay at, at, at the end of winter and you know, you know that spring is coming and it's a delightful sign. Or that blue that the bride wears on the day of her wedding, just a little bit of blue. Sometimes just the blue of, of summer or the blue of the ocean or the blue of the sky. Sometimes it's the blue sapphire. Ladies, sometimes it's Tiffany blue. You know, a delightful sign, I've, I've been told. Sometimes the blue is a beautiful color that makes us happy and delighted and elated. But other times blue is sadness, isn't it? It's loneliness and isolation and despair. Sometimes the blue is the blue of failure, of crushed dreams, of dashed hopes. Sometimes blue is the color of depression despair, divorce. One week life is Tiffany blue, the next week you're singing the blues, and those are two different blues altogether, aren't they? This is Dylan's message, life is tangled up in blue. And interestingly enough, it is the message of all three scripture passages today. Each one of them with this same sort of tangled affair going on in life. Jesus tells a parable, another agricultural parable, another sneaking in the back door. You think he's talking about farmers and seeds. It's never about farmers and seeds. It's never about women and coins or men with children. He's talking about a farmer who went out to sow seeds. And he sows wheat seeds in his field. And one night, some no-good son of a skunk sneaks in. and, and, And after he's planted seeds, plants weed seeds in there with it. And no one knows it's going to happen. No one knows that he's done this. And, and so up sprout the plants and they all look the same and they all grow for a while. And all of a sudden, as the wheat begins to bloom and begins to bud, you realize the, the, the workers realize, oh no, there's another kind of plant in here. And so they go back to the master and they say to the master, what shall we do? We, you want us to go through and find all the weeds and pull them out? And the master says, no, this time they're too tangled up together. And when you rip out one, you're going to rip out both. Just leave them until the harvest. And Jesus goes on to tell them what the meaning of the parable is. The meaning of the parable is that the children of God and the children of the evil one are sown together in the same field. They live together in the same world. And the division, the separation, the judgment will come at the end. When the harvest takes place. But the message is, is that, that there's this tangledness of goodness and evil, of light and darkness in the same place, in the same world. The world is filled with this sort of tangled affair. In the psalm, we get some, the same thing. The psalm is a psalm of lament. We get these laments, these complaints so many times in the Psalter. Um, and, the psalm, and it goes the same way. Lord, pay attention. I'm suffering down here. Do you not know the difficulties that I'm in? Here, listen to the first four, um, the first four entreaties in this psalm. Bow down your ear and hear me, O Lord. Preserve my life. Be merciful to me. Comfort the soul of your servant. Listen here. Save me. Show me mercy. 
Bring me comfort. This is not, this is not a psalm written by somebody who had a Tiffany blue kind of week at all, is it? <laughs> this is uh, someone who's had the other kind of blue. The sad blue, the, the difficult blue. Listen, verse 14. Oh God, the proud have risen up against me, and the company of violent men have sought after my life. The company of violent men have sought after my life. Not just a problem with a single individual, is it? Problems with lots of people who seem to be coming after him. Whether he means that literally they're trying to kill him, or metaphorically they're just trying to choke out the life that he has. He's tangled up in all sorts of a difficulty. It's wheat and weeds. It's people who seek to wreak havoc in his life. And every one of us here has had that kind of week. Every one of us here, not maybe this week, but you've, you've experienced it. You've walked through this. You've had this difficulty. You've had someone at work or at school or in a, in a club who's after you. And they're good at it. They seem to cause all kinds of harm without really having any sort of effort. And it's difficult to defend yourself. Maybe your boyfriend or your girlfriend broke up with you. Said they want to see other people or have more time. And all your hopes and dreams come crashing down. And you learn to pray the psalm. Oh God, hear me, listen to me, save me, deliver me. And if you haven't learned to pray this psalm, oh, I have bad news for you. It's coming, right? And then in Paul's letter, he brings all these ideas together. He has this, this big kind of theological concept where he holds them all together and he holds them all together with the problem of evil. And in his mind, it's very clear that he's back in Genesis. He's back in Genesis 2 and 3. This couple who are in a garden of paradise in Eden where all they have is goodness. Goodness all around them. And just one prohibition. Only one. Don't eat from this tree. You can eat from all the other trees. You can do all the other things you want to do. You can swim in any river, presumably. You can do whatever you want. You just cannot eat from this one tree. And in Genesis 3, we find out that that one prohibition is violated. The one thing they were told they could not do, they do. And in chapter 3, you have the eating of a forbidden fruit. And in chapter 4, a few sentences later, do you know what happens? Brother murders brother. Fratricide. Over raw jealousy. In a world filled with goodness, suddenly one little bit of evil unleashed all sorts of evil. And it's all through. It's permeated throughout the entire world. The slippery slope is not only, it's not only drastic, it becomes prolific. And in the next chapters of Genesis, we see it just boiling over and boiling over throughout the whole world. Paul says, this problem of evil is not even just isolated to human beings. It goes throughout the whole of creation. Look at, at verse 19. It's the second sentence in Paul's lesson, uh, in the New Testament lesson, the first one today. For the creation waits with eager longing. For the revealing of the sons of God or children of God, the better translation. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that creation set itself, uh, in that creation itself, 
will be set free from its bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of glory to the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The whole creation, eager longing, groaning in the pains of childbirth. This is the whole, this is the, this is the whole non-human creation. I went to look at the, at the choir and they're still not over there. The whole of creation. This is, this is all the non-human parts. Energy and matter. Animals and insects. Vegetation. Minerals. Forces of weather. Atmospheric conditions. All of this is caught up in the groaning, in the, in the, the, the suffering, in the eager longing to be set free from bondage. All of creation has its own lament. Paul again, verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. Listen, he's talking about Christians. He's talking about men and women, boys and girls, who have given their hearts to Jesus. We still suffer. We still groan inwardly with the whole of creation. And what do we wait for? We wait for the eagerly of the, uh, the adoption as children, the redemption, listen to this, of our bodies. Somatos in Greek. You've heard this word psychosomatic, you know, when your brain causes your body to, um, to react. I do this all the time because I'm a hypochondriac. So all the time when I think about things, all of a sudden, oh my, all I have to do is think about a cough. If I think about coronavirus, I'm coughing. I'm telling you, it just, it happens, right? And, and we have, we have this way our minds control our bodies. Paul says, we are eagerly waiting for the redemption of our bodies. The Christian hope is not immaterial spirit floating up into an immaterial heaven where we are exist forever and ever as immaterial floating spirits um, that we would draw as a cartoons. That is not the Christian hope. We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We are groaning, waiting. Backtrack to his very first verse then. Okay, all of this in our mind. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy of being compared with the hope that lies within us. We suffer. We do suffer. So in this world, this muddle bundle, this this life tangled up in blue, this, this tangled up mess, what's the, what's the message here? Just this, that life is messy. And if you thought it was going to be anything other than messy, (laughs) I'm sorry. I hate to bring good people bad news, but it is. It's difficult. It's complicated and uncertain and fragile. It is hard and sometimes sad and sometimes bitterly disappointing. And if anyone thought that picking up a cross and following Jesus would suddenly make everything rosy and easy... Well, let me disabuse you of that notion right now. That is not the message of the gospel. So this comes to us today. Those of us who suffer, which is all of us, 
In some ways, it's get used to it. This is part of what it means to live in a fallen world. A world where everything is affected. Not just you, not just your difficulties and my difficulties. But the whole of creation is groaning together. All of it is suffering. Get used to it. Don't expect an easy life. Christ never promised anyone an easy life in this world. But what about good news? Have you any good news for us, preacher? I mean, we've kind of been through this little spiral going down ever since Bob Dylan, you know. Is there anything good to say? Is there anything, any, any bit of, of, of hope? Yes, of course there is. That Christ came. The whole mystery of the incarnation is that God enters into this tangled mess with us. That He enters into this. And we do have the first fruits of the Spirit. What is Paul talking about? This, this image is just it's so foreign to us because we're not very agrarian. But it's when you have, uh, when you plant uh, crops, you know, you, zucchini or tomatoes or whatever it is you want, and, and you, you plant them and, and the very first ones come on. Okay, in, in Paul's world, in the ancient world, you took those and you offered those as a gift to God. Give that first fruit to God. And he's saying that God has given us the first fruits of the coming of the new creation. He has given us the Holy Spirit. Corporately as a church, but individually, that you and I can wake up and know the joy of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the here and now. The, the joy of new birth, the joy of life. That we can have the certainty that God is leading us through life. I have this, great, this passage, one of my favorites, that comes from Isaiah. And he says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, you will hear a voice behind you. Saying, this is the way. Walk in it. That the Holy Spirit, the providence of God, leads us through life. And so whatever difficulty we face, whatever challenge we face, it comes with that blessing that God has met us there first. That nothing shall overcome us, but that He will survive, will bring us through. Even the pains of life can be a blessing. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you had this time where you suffered for a really long time over something. And then you, you got through it. And you struggled along and eventually righted yourself and life became joyous again. And, and maybe there was some more Tiffany blue along the way. And you look back at that suffering. And you realize that God was with you all along. That it was a blessing to you in a strange way that even the suffering became beautiful. Bob Dylan's 39th album, this song I've made up my mind to give myself to you. I just thought how lovely that was this week when I was listening to it. How beautiful it is that husbands and wives can give themselves to each other again and, and hear this song and dance in their kitchens. But I thought it would be an even lovelier thing still if we said it to the Lord. If we said these words, been thinking it over, and I've made and I've thought it all through, I've made up my mind to give myself to you. Not because life will be easy, but because even the sufferings that we endure are not worthy to be compared with the hope that lies within us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.